Welcome to the Nahrain Network podcast series. Today we're joined by Dr. Ahmed Naji, an independent researcher and cultural advisor specializing in the modern contemporary Iraqi art. Naji focuses on research and documentation, public art, museum and private collections and related literature from articles to catalogs and books. Between 2005 and 2008, Dr. Naji worked at the Iraq Memory Foundation in Baghdad on various aspects of documentation and research of documents, oral history of victims and survivors and arts and artifacts and the rule of the Ba'ath regime from 1968 to 2003. He was also a cultural advisor for the Public Affairs Office at the US Embassy in Baghdad. Later, Dr. Naji served as the founding executive officer of the London-based Cultural Centre of the Humanitarian Dialogue Foundation in 2009 to 2012. He collaborated with several charitable and cultural projects and his work has been featured in several news articles such as BBC, LA Times and art newspapers. He is the author of Under the Palm Trees, Modern Iraqi Art with Mohamed Makia and Jawad Salim, which will be published in May 2019 by Rizzoli, New York, which discusses the trajectory of Iraqi art through the prominent art collection of the late pioneer architect Mohamed Makia, who passed away in 2015. Welcome to the Nahrain Network. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you, and many thanks for the Nahrain Network for inviting me here today. It's good to have you. I'm very much impressed with your work, and you have a book coming out about modern art heritage in Iraq. Could you tell us about that? The book is actually a sort of a closure, a closure to a long-term project that I've been working on in Iraq in terms of documentation and research of modern and contemporary Iraqi art. I was lucky enough to meet the late Mohammed Miki in 2006. Then when I moved to London in 2008, I was visiting him on a regular basis and we started to go through his collection. Then his son, Kanan Makia, commissioned me to write a book. The book documents the collection from the early 1940s until 2006 when Makia's Kufa Gallery in London, Queensway, was closed. And the collection is one of the most prominent Iraqi art collections, not only in terms of quantity, but also in terms of quality, in terms of influence. Collection has influenced Makia's architecture in so many ways, which I discuss in the book. At the same time, Makia influenced Iraqi artists in the 1950s, mainly 1960s, in a way that brings to question the, the value of modern heritage in Iraq. Modern heritage is related to modernism. It's all that body of publications and different accomplishments, whether on an individual level or on a group effort or a state-sponsored effort that was in Iraq from the 1960s and after the 1958 revolution until today, which unfortunately for many reasons has been neglected. And I find now that with finishing my book, I have a new calling and this new calling is to work with as many researchers, as many historians as possible to recollect, to reassemble uh, this body of archive and preserve it for a future generation. Could you tell us a bit more about your work in Iraq? Did you go to Iraq for this research? Um, were the archives based in Iraq, in UK? How did you conduct this research and where did you find the material for this important piece of research? I was in Iraq until 2008. I actually moved to London in 2008. So prior to that, when I was at the Memory Foundation, I was a deputy director of the Arts and Artifacts project. And this project basically was aiming at documenting propaganda art. So that's all the art that was sponsored by Saddam's regime, the Ba'ath regime. At the same time, documenting the opposite art, the dissident art. And this is art by the likes of, for example, Faisal Abi, a prominent uh, artist, uh, communist-leaning 
artists living in London and several other artists, including Kurdish artists after the Enfile campaign like Walid Siti, uh, Uthman Ahmed and several others. This is one aspect of, let's say, preliminary research. The other research is that I am related to one of the historians of Iraqi art and the prominent artist, Shakir Hassan al-Said. My fascination with everything that he wrote led me to collect over the years when I was in Baghdad, before I left, to collect as many books and journals, including Afaq Arabiyya, different things, and they were just for basically personal interest. Uh, little that I know that all of this basically would come very useful when I'm writing my book on Makia. Meeting Makia and going through his archives has given me an eye-opening in terms of how important is actual, actually the personal archive of every one of these prominent figures. So we have Makia, we have Rufat Chadarchi, we have even prominent artists like uh, Jawa Salim, Faik Hassan, and we wonder what happened to their archives. Shakir Hassan al-Said's archives uh, themselves. And one of the people who has been working on this particular area of archives is Nada Shabut. Professor Nada Shabut has accumulated all of her research over the years in one website which has been extremely helpful to so many researchers I know. It's the Modern Art Iraq Archive. And if you think of a library that you can access anytime and you can find all these documents no matter where they were published or what point in time they were published, that would be the Maya Archive. Which is based in the US. The, the website is online, but the, yes, the research was based in the U.S. And basically, Meda is based in the U.S. Yeah. is based in the U.S., yeah. yes. What increases the importance and the impact of the Maya website is the fact that the actual documents on which the Maya is based have been greatly or in a, in a very devastating way completely lost. And this is mainly talking or concerning the library at Marka Saddam and Fununda Saddam Art Center which was looted in 2003, and it included a vast archive that I used to visit when I was a student. I used to visit before 2003, and this is an archive that was accumulated by Noura Rawi from 1960s to Shakir Hassan al-Said in 1980s to several other uh, notable uh, scholars in Iraq, and this was looted and burned to the ground. The other important collection of archives and documents and books is actually the library in the Academy of Fine Art in Baghdad and Waziriya. It was reported that there was about 7,000 books in that library and it was burned to the ground. So now we come to a harsher re reality. You have modern heritage uh, at risk. Modern heritage uh, under, uh, basically there are no laws to protect it. There is no uh, real will or interest from the powers to be in Iraq to work on it. At the same time, the security situation inside Iraq, it is not uh, uh, feasible for any researcher to go and document and, and collect. At the same time, you have so many researchers who are outside Iraq trying to salvage whatever is available, and these efforts are strictly led by Nadeshabut. To work on this archive, to collect it together, we have to start with something that's established, which is the Maya archive. And the idea now is to work with Nada Shabur, to work with many other researchers and to pull the archives that we all have individually accessed into one place, let's say, let's call it a mega Maya website. So I am basically sharing with them everything I have that I've collected over the years, whatever I managed to access from the McKee archive. At the same time, Nada is sharing the archives that she accessed through Maya and there are several other researchers and PhD students who are doing the same. So I'm working closely with a colleague who is doing a PhD uh, thesis on Jawa Selim in France. And uh, he has been extremely helpful in finding lots of archives uh, at the National Library in Paris.
that relates to Iraq, that relates to Iraqi students. And at the same time, I'm collecting and you know sharing information with him. Another partner in this soon-to-happen project is Dr. Hassanin Ibrahimi. Hassanin Ibrahimi is a prominent collector of Iraqi art based in Jordan, and he has the Ibrahimi collection, which is again accessible online, uh, and it has uh, about 1,000 artworks starting from the early pioneers or the progenitors of Iraqi art until the latest of contemporary artists, for example. So starting from Abdul Qadir Rassam to Adil Abdin, in a way. And in addition to that, Brahimi collection also includes uh, more than 1,000 books and publications. Uh, for example, Majlat Fanun Arabiya, Majlat Gilgamesh, all the publications that were published in the 1960s and 70s from Wizarat al-Irshad, to, which was then called Wizarat al-Thaqafa, and so on. Could you tell us if there's a register regarding what's been lost, what's been looted, what's been destroyed in terms of arts in Iraq post-2003? The answer is yes and no. The reason for that is there was something published in 2006 or 7 called the Red List of Iraqi Art and it was published by uh, Salam Atta Sabri when he was director of Modern Art Museum in Baghdad. However, this list was proven to be unfortunately misinformed and there are lots of factual mistakes in it in addition to that it has created more problems than uh, its attempt to solve any. In addition to that, Neda Shabut and several people who used to work at the Ministry of Culture, they have been trying to create a list of what has been looted and destroyed. But the problem lies in that there is no full documentation of what was there before the looting. So in 2003, we know that the uh, Saddam Art Center, which is a massive building in Haifa Street that uh, occupies five stories, uh, it was built in the 80s and it was a state-of-the-art institution in Baghdad until its looting in 2003, included about 8,000 artworks. And these started from the Ottoman soldier artists like Abdelkader Rassam, Hamas Salim, Jawad Salim's father, all the way through Iraqi artists in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and the early 2000s as well. Most of a big percentage of that 8,000 might be propaganda art, because there are several videos that we have access to from the early 2000s where it shows hundreds of portraits of Saddam Hussein, but nevertheless, this is still art, and art is a document. No one has a right to destroy it. The first question is, what kind of art, or in terms of quantity, quality, photographs, etc., documents that were there before the point of looting, and then what happened to these after the point of looting? What the research has been going through, for, for example, for me, or for Nada Shabut, or several others, is we're trying to ascertain what was there before the looting. There are some collections, some catalogs, some books that we have been collecting from different sources, which shows you some of the artworks. For example, there is a, a document of about 93 or 94 photographs, high-resolution photographs of some of the masterpieces at Saddam Center. This was done in the 80s, and it was done by a prominent Iraqi gallerist and photographer. And these were exhibited recently in an exhibition in Paris called Baghdad Monamor which was curated by Murad Montazami. He's a researcher for... This the, is where you've, you gave a presentation? Yes, I gave a presentation. So these, for example, like it is 94 masterpieces uh, from Kalam Haider to Joha Selim to Hawad Darubi to Atta Sabri, different ones. They're very, very important, very, very valuable. And I have been able to access as well through someone who used to work at the Ministry of Culture and who was documenting this, some uh, video footage of basically different artworks in different sections 
and then they zoom in on each artwork and you see what was there and who is the artist etc and we want to reassemble this archive to create an inventory list for example it is an enormous project and that's why a project like this actually needs a network rather than one team of researchers or one group because so that so this has given us the idea to work on actual network so now we are in the process of establishing a network that starts in Baghdad and ends in the United States the in Baghdad you have we have uh, three professors at the Academy of Fine Arts and we have uh, two artists and two historians at the museum in the Minister of Culture. And then in uh, Jordan, we have a prominent art critic and author, a poet, Maymoud Afar, who has been writing about Iraqi art from the 1960s. She's the wife of the late Rafa al-Nasri, and she is a great treasure for Iraqi art and culture, both in literature and art. We have the Ibrahimi collection with a massive collection, as I mentioned earlier, of artworks and books. And this is in Amman. Then we want to establish a base in London because we have, for example, the McKee archive in London. There are several other art collectors and living artists, for example, Faisal Laibi, who I've been in touch with and he's you know, willing to cooperate. Ghaya Azawi, who is willing to cooperate as well. And he actually, Ghaya Azawi has been one of the people who contributed a lot to the My Archive because if you see, several of the documents there they come from his personal library and he has uh, researchers who are working on his library and his documents so that's very helpful and then we have in the united states we have several people who are also invested in the same effort we have nada shabut obviously and we have for example wafa bilal a very respected artist who's been working on a brilliant project to rebuild the library in the academy of fine arts through an art project so if we create, a, let's say, a structure into which all these people can work and with support, for example, from other academicians in different disciplines, then hopefully we can start something towards rebuilding this modern heritage. Uh, one of the people that I'm working in is an academic at SOAS. He's a poet and a translator, and his PhD thesis was on uh, modernism in Arab literature and Iraqi literature. This is the School of Oriental and African Studies. Yes. And his name is Dr. Gharib Iskandar. And Dr. Gharib Iskandar is going to be one of the people working with us on this because as I was working through my book on the McKee Art Collection, you can't study art without studying architecture, without studying uh, poetry, without studying literature without studying photography, without studying archaeology. They're all interrelated. This was a period of boom where a new Iraqi identity has been created. Then this Iraqi identity was subjected to different influences to create an Arab stereotype out of it in the 1960s. Then in the 70s, it went through different political influences. In the 1980s, we had the Iraq-Iran war. So this is an identity on the conflict. In the 1990s, the same identity was going through sanctions and lots of difficulties with the government censorship and the sponsorship. Then in 2003, we have the fragmentation and destruction of everything. So as you can see, it's, it's all related and it's, it's like a continuum. And of course, it's related to conflict, politics. Yes. Um, is that something that you look at in your book or in your research? In my book... Uh, on the Makia archive. It is related to Makia himself. And it ends with Baghdad. It ends with 2006. It ends with last visit that Makia did uh, to Baghdad. And then his dreams about Baghdad, which were not realized. 
And in the last chapter, I allude to all the efforts that several people have been doing trying to document it. For example, you have the Roya Foundation in Baghdad. They have been working on contemporary art and they have been working on Iraqi artists inside Iraq trying to break their isolation. And now the Roya Foundation has progressed to a new level of growth and they have just uh, launched a new project or a new organization called Roya Maps looking at art in conflict areas in general. You have other organizations working inside Iraq and some of them are in Amman. So that's why it's important for us uh, that the network basically will fill the gaps, the geographical and the historical gaps because you have different people researching different things and different times if you have a way to pull this research into one place in an open source format so it becomes like a virtual museum and library which enables everyone inside and outside Iraq to access it the idea came to me or not only me it's basically something you learn from others is that when you see the destruction that happens in Iraq in a continuous wave we thought 2003 was the end of destruction. Then in 2015, you have ISIS going into museums and destroying them, burning libraries like the Library of Mosul, etc. What if ISIS happens in Baghdad? What if ISIS happens in Mosul? What Again. Again, yeah. yes. What are the safeguards that we are putting to this? How can you plan? When you're working on, the, on that emergency sort of contingency plan. It's emergency contingency plan. And it's also in a way that I'm very inspired by someone... Uh, his name is Minter Dial. He, um, he wrote a book or co-authored a book called The Future Proof. And how can you future proof Iraqi art and uh, let's say modern heritage? The way you future proof modern heritage is by introducing technology to it. And the way to use technology now, you can scan 3D objects, you can scan 2D objects, you can pull out all of these archives and make them available online. Another partner organization that I'm working with is IDRAK, which is an initiative for the Queen Rania Foundation. And I am working on a course with them, uh, basically on art in the Arab world. This is going to be a MOOC, which is a massive open online uh, course. And it's going to be six episodes, they're like six webinars, basically, uh, an hour long, and they go over six weeks. And each week, you would be introduced to art in each country. And you would. the idea is, to send a message to every Arab person out there, to everyone who lives in the Middle East, that art in your country, whether it's monuments or museums or libraries, is an expression of your citizenship. It's an expression of your identity. It is not something to be destroyed in conflict. For example, the famous story about the sculpture of Jawa Salim, the motherhood sculpture, which was salvaged by Muhammad Ghani and a group of sculptors, Taha Wahib, and they bought it from Pancharchi, a guy who fixed uh, wheels and tires. They bought it from him for $100. And the guy who sold it for $100, he didn't even know what it was. And the motherhood sculpture, this is one of the most famous... And this uh, is one of, one of the items that was looted from... Yes, and it was retrieved. And it still now stands at the museum. However, a small piece of it is missing. It's a mother and child. The child is missing. Think about it this way. Think if people actually had access to the museum. If people had a narrative into which the museum and the artworks, the work of Jawa Salim, is a household name. He was a household name because of Nasb al-Hurriyeh. But people don't know much about Jawa Salim beyond Nasb al-Hurriyeh. What about Shakir Hassan? What about uh, Ali Talib? What about Rafa al-Nasri? What about several other artists, you know, Saleh al-Qarabali, Ali al-Najjar, for example, uh, several artists, Suad al-Attar, 
These are artists who are genuinely Iraqi, very original. Their art went through different periods of time. If you read their art, you read your history, the history of Iraq, and it will give you a different perspective on your identity. It will, it will increase national cohesion instead of the, the divisions that we see now in terms of Sunni and Shia identities. For example, today is the 10th of Muharram, it's Ashura, and it's celebrated in the Shia world. The 10th of Muharram itself was one of the prominent aspects that was heavily studied and discussed through Iraqi art. Artists from the Azawi to Rafa al-Nasir to Shakir Hassan to Kazim Haida to Faisal Abi, they all worked on the theme of 10th of Muharram because it is a very rich theme of folklore, it's folk art, Islamic heritage. At the same time, it touches on a theme of martyrdom. And the theme of martyrdom is an eternal theme in Iraq. It happened through the Iraq-Iran war. You have one million martyrs. Muharram uh, is also about a way to remember the martyrs. It's a symbol. So you see that when you look at art, this is why Makia was very interested in it as well, and he was inspired by it, is that through art, you can reframe, you can rephrase certain concepts, and you take them out of the pigeonholes into which politicians have placed them to be. I mean, who actually reframes the narrative surrounding modern art? Is it the state? Is it civil society? Because obviously we've seen cultural discontinuity and the fragmentation of Iraq's national identity, national heritage. So in a sense, you're working to salvage what is left, the fragments of Iraq's heritage. But in, a, in another sense, you're also working as a substitute for the Iraqi state. This is the role in many ways of Iraqi state institutions, because obviously it's an emergency situation, we've had so much destruction. Um, it's a very important question that you ask in terms of how much of this is actually a role for the state or it's a role for society. And the, the way that I can answer this is that I had a similar question in 2003, and I was thinking that this, all of this has to be done by the Ministry of Culture. But as you know, the people in the Ministry of Culture who work there, whether it's they're historians or artists, etc., at the end of the day, they are part of the society. So it is a, a role of society rather than a role of just government itself. And starting from here, we know that the Ministry of Culture, because of the, the construct of politics in Iraq, is a, a ministry of inferior importance. That's why there was always difficult to allocate budget for it. It was always difficult for any Minister of Culture, no matter how influential he was, to make something of substantial importance. But it's one of the most important in terms of the construction of Iraqi identity. It is yes, one of the most important. Maybe you and I have a biased view because of our backgrounds, but is it more important than infrastructure? No, it is not as more important than infrastructure. But if you don't do anything about it, it will get worse. A stitch in time saves nine. I've been working on this since 2005, 2006. And I know people in Minister of Culture who, especially those who work with the arts, they want to work. They want to access materials. They want to provide access to different things. But it is not easy for them. So that's why a network is important, is that if they want something that can be provided by someone who is in a different country, then we can provide it through the network. That's why this project is a collaborative project to bring everyone together. There has been a lot of emphasis on archaeology, for example, and you can see how multinational effort has produced results in archaeology and that the museum now in Baghdad is open even though it is from 10 to 12, but it's still open and people have great pride when they go into it. We need the same multinational effort to happen 
for Iraqi art to protect public monuments, restore them, to talk about uh, increase awareness of the importance of Iraqi art, to work with several people, uh, stakeholders, historians, even the art market, because most of the 8,000 pieces, the, the looted ones, that are still in the black market, we need to get them back. And that's how uh, we can, we can uh, salvage this. So is it a role for the state? Yes. But does the state need a facilitator? Yes. And that's where the network comes to be. How can we future-proof it? We can future-proof it by the use of technology so that it becomes a democratization of uh, knowledge. It becomes a public access for everyone. A book written by Shaq al-Hassan in 1962 should be a PDF that anyone can download and read at any point in time. When I went in uh, last trip to Iraq, I bought about 30 kilos of books and catalogs and stuff to bring them with me. And I want to digitize all of these and share them with everyone. I've been speaking to several partners and they all want to do the same thing. The connections between heritage, architecture, art, modernism and development during the 50s, 60s, 70s and onwards, 80s even. Yes. Is that something that you could speak about? I can only speak about it through my research on the McKee archive. What's important about this is uh, you see that there has been lots of efforts started in Iraq, specifically from when the development board during the monarchy was established with uh, different recruitment of architects from around the world, like Gioponti, Frank Lloyd Wright, Walter Gropius and how Iraqi architects and artists engaged with that recruitment. So this was the National Development Board? Majlis al-Amar. So they have commissioned the international architects to come up with these plans. But a lot of these projects, because uh, Development Board worked in 1956-57, and then the revolution happened in 58. So all of these plans remained on paper. Abdul Karim Qasim came to power. He initiated the work on some of these plans, like Medinat al-Sadr, the plan by Doxiadis. Several projects by uh, Gropius were initiated. And then you have the Ba'ath regime, Saddam's regime, when they came to power, they also looked at uh, some of these projects that they wanted to develop during the boom of the 80s when Iraq was getting, and Baghdad specifically, was getting ready to be capital for the Arab world to host the non-allied nations movement conference. This is where Haifa Street was built, uh, Marqa Saddam al-Fanun was built, where uh, Nasb al-Shaheed was was made by Ismail This was Fattah, built even the, during the Iran-Iraq war? The, yes. And uh, Le Corbusier, the gymnasium, Le Corbusier was commissioned, but uh, Le Corbusier was not alive at the time, so they had to go through his archives to find the plans. There is actually a great research and a great artwork which goes into this detail. It's by Ala Yunis. It's called the Plan for Greater Baghdad and a Plan for a Greater Baghdad, the female version. It goes actually through how individuals did a great role to support the nation or the state in creating this. But if you read about Frank Lloyd Wright, Gioponti, Le Corbusier, and then you read about McKee and Chadarchi, that will bring you to Jawa Salim, Faiq Hassan, Ismail al all of these artists who were contemporaries. And then that will bring you to also other artists who were influential in the art scene and historians like Noor al-Rawi, who established the 1962 Museum of uh, National Art called the Golbin Kian Building, which was funded by the Golbin Kian Foundation. So you see it is all uh, related. Now, how does this play an importance? Today in Iraq, 2018, you go and you stand in front of Nadi al-Azamiyya, which was the, called Olympic Club or the Royal Olympic Club, which is the first building that was designed uh, by an Iraqi architect, Ahmed Mukhtar Ibrahim. And there is a great paper on it by Cecilia Perry on the history of, the, of this building. This building 
It needs to be uh, basically a listed building. There has to be a law in Iraq to protect modern architecture. This was built in the 1930s or 40s. It was used for major art exhibitions like the 1957 art exhibition. The architecture is still there. It has a beautiful uh, painting by Faik Hassan from the 1960s inside it. And the building, unfortunately, has been defaced because someone had the you know, brilliant idea to cut a small shop out of the facade of it. You can see a lot of people have been working on this, specifically Tamiz Awards and Ahmed Al Malak from uh, Canterbury University, who's been rallying support to stop such uh, destruction of modern heritage. So modern heritage in terms of architecture and modern heritage in terms of public monuments and modern heritage in terms of national museum collections, they all go hand in hand because they were created at the same time. They are interrelated to each other. Rafat Chadarchi, the great architect who left several buildings in Baghdad that are in desperate need of restoration, was the one behind the construction and the project of Nasb al of Jawasini. The sketches and the studies of Nasb al are part of the uh, Rafa Chadarchi's archive. So there has to be a law, there has to be some movement in Iraq to protect national heritage. So there has to be a register of modern heritage and a law to protect that modern heritage, to protect the buildings of Ahmed Mukhtar Ibrahim, Qahtan al-Matfa'i, Rafa Chadarchi, Mohammed Makiya, uh, Saeed Ali Madloum, Mithat Ali Madloum. The laws we have in Iraq, yes. none of them are actually focusing on arts. None of them are focusing on modern heritage as in, as in projects like uh, Rafa Chadarchi's project or Mohammed Maki or Saeed Ali Madloum. The monuments that we have in Baghdad, there is also some confusion about it because the monument itself can belong to the Amanat Baghdad, but the land or the, that it's owned can be for Amanat Baghdad or a different place, or some of the monuments they belong to Ministry of Culture, but they are related to Amanat Baghdad. And sometimes you get these, you know, ridiculous attempts to, under the heading of restoring a monument, they actually paint it in gold. For, and this happened, for example, the Kahramana of Muhammad Ghani Hikmet, which is a bronze uh, sculpture. It was painted in gold, and as in, it's, it's an oil-based color, base. And then Iraqi artists protested, and they, they cleaned it. The obvious way to go about it is that we have a lot of documentation. There are lots of essays and articles and books and pamphlets and exhibitions and everything that you can think of was actually produced during the 70s and 80s, and it's a fragmented. We just need to compile it all in one place. Okay, you've compiled it. Yes, you create a registry. You've created a registry. Yes. A register of lost items or looted items. You've documented that. Or a register of standing items. So you then present that to the Iraqi government in terms of creating a law that protects that? That's one of the ultimate goals, is to work with the Iraqi government and to make it easier to the lawmakers to create a law that protects these and the uh, a process to enforce this law on the ground. More importantly, through this process, when you engage so many scholars, so many people, you have so many people in Baghdad, young people, who are avid photographers and they're using mobile phone technology. We can easily recruit them through technology to take several pictures. We can do surveys of these places just by mobilizing young people in Iraq and you give them a greater cause. 
So this is where the network comes in and this is what we want to achieve. Do you see your work in conflict with what could be described as the secretarization of Iraq's heritage or parts of it? Um, an increasing movement in Iraq obviously is an outcome of Iraq's politics in relation to religious or ethnic based heritage. Do they see that the work that you're doing in these sort of monuments that you work on are in a sense secular national heritage monuments, symbols of Iraq's development and identity? How do you work in a situation of political fragmentation and of increasing sectarianization of Iraq's heritage? I'm sure there will be a conflict down the line, but this conflict can be negotiated like any other uh, conflict. And the bottom line here is that the monument belongs to the people. The monument does not belong to the state. You and I know that monuments that were created to glorify Saddam himself were torn down by people. And we know from history that bad art is still born. So it's not going to survive the test of time. But Jawah Salim, Khaled Rahal's monument, Faiq Hassan's monument, these things, they stand the test of time. And it will not be difficult. But and they've been undermined during the past few years because of the conflict. Yes, it's also been undermined because you have to look through the bigger picture that when people don't have water and electricity, the last thing will think they will think about is art, right? But if you reframe the argument, if you engage people in appreciating this art and they feel they are part of it, then the story will, will change. As in for political parties or religious people or uh, whoever is in a position to instigate conflict, their views will not stand um, a scrutiny or a logical scrutiny. Plus, the Iraqi, state, the Iraqi government is the natural protector of all of this heritage through the institutions and through the people that there is. All we need to do is to facilitate this process and to engage with people. What I am talking about, this is not, let's say, a personal view. I did not invent something new. I'm only basically talking about what other people inside Iraq are talking about. One important attempt to fundamentally transform Nasib al-Shaheed, and there was an idea there to actually create a sort of an investment park, hotels and shopping center around this very important symbol of the Iran-Iraq war. There was an outcry amongst the Iraqi public that this area should not be touched. And this is a very positive sign from the Iraqi public, from yes. civil society in Iraq. As you know, the Martyrs Monument designed by Ismail Fattah, it is a part of a big landscape where there is an artificial lake. And in order for you to see the monument, it has to be seen from 360 degrees. The monument changes its aspects from every degree that you go around it. And by the construction of this basically uh, new project of shops and shopping center or uh, like an entertainment area near uh, the monument and on the land on which the monument occupies is going to uh, block and restrict and is going to change the uh, visual narrative of this whole area which will uh, negatively impact the monument itself. This monument should be celebrated as in my view, it is one of the most important monuments, if not the most important monuments after Nasb al-Hurriya. Nasb al-Hurriya was the first monument by Jawah Salim, 1958-59-60. is the first monument that was commissioned by an Iraqi state to an Iraqi artist. Ismail Fattah's monument, Martyr's monument, is the most important monument in Iraq uh, because of its innovative way of appropriating tradition and creating it in a very contemporary way. 
On that note, thank you very much. I look forward to your book, Dr. Ahmed Naji, Under the Palm Trees, Modern Iraqi Art with Mohammed Maki and Jawad Salim, published by Rizoli in New York. And your book is out in May 2019. Yes, and thank you very much, uh, Mihiar, for all the great work you do with the Nahrain Network and for all the wonderful projects that the Nahrain Network are working on. Thank, thank you, you very, very much. much. Thank you.